The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And I am your co-host, Austin. And today, we have a huge update in a past case before we get started. Um, This is an update in the Delphi murders. So I had a few... Delphi. Remind me, this is the one where they were on the train tracks. Yes. This episode was crazy. What episode was it? So this was episode 37. This was good. Go back and listen to this episode. It was crazy. Yeah, so we covered this case back in February. If you're listening, if you're interested in listening to the whole story, um, it's episode 37. So back in 2017, Libby German and Abby Williams were walking along an abandoned train track bridge when they were approached by a man that ordered them down the hill. Libby happened to be Snapchatting much of their adventure that day and actually took a video of the man approaching them. But beyond that footage, police have never released what happened after he ordered them down the hill. But we do know that the girls were then attacked, raped, and murdered. Since the murder, the snapshot of the man has been broadcast in an attempt to find out who he is. But we haven't had any real leads until recently. So there's a man named James Chadwell, and um, real quick, just for clarification, mm-hmm. that guy that was in the video, that it was all stemming to. If mm-hmm. you go listen to it, he's he wasn't the, he didn't get convicted or anything. No, he's never been found. Right. Correct. Yeah. So um, James Chadwell was recently charged with the attempted murder of a nine-year-old girl. He allegedly lured this girl who was a neighbor of his, into his home under the ruse that she could pet his dogs. And he chained her up in his basement, beat her, and strangled her. Um, She was found without her clothes on. And when she was reported missing, police say that they, like, almost immediately found the girl in his basement. She is incredibly lucky to be alive because her injuries were pretty severe. But in an interview with Inside Edition... James's brother said, quote, he's a monster, exactly. He's an absolute evil person. Do I think he's capable of that kind of crime? Absolutely, when they were talking about the Delphi murders. He said he's shown numerous times, not only to his friends, but his family as well, that he has that kind of evil streak in him. And then James's own stepfather also believes he could be the man in the mysterious video from Libby's phone. He said, quote, is he capable? Probably. And, you know, should they let him back out on the street? Not ever. Throw away the key this time. Wow. So James Chadwell has a lot, has a long rap sheet, and he has a relatively new tattoo on his arm um, that is eerily similar to Libby German. 
And I've actually heard that he's got, like, identical tattoos on both sides of his arm. Um, so, like, two girls, which could represent Abby and Libby. And I've seen two different pictures depicting this. But one of them, you know, I can't tell if it's just, like, a selfie that's been, like, flipped, you know? Like, mm-hmm. flipped vertically, I guess. Um, or if it really is the second tattoo. But, anyway, I'm going to show you a picture of him side by side with the sketch. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. It definitely looks like it could be him. It definitely looks like it could be him. Um, And he is from Lafayette, Indiana, which is only 18 miles from Delphi. No way. Yeah. So I do think that this could be a promising lead. I'm I'm intrigued to see where it ends up. What year did Delphi happen? 17? I think it was 17. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, But yeah, those girls and their families deserve justice. And I just really hope they get it because I can't even imagine what it's like. For so her this, family. And is this guy in custody? He is because he's been charged with the attempted murder of that nine-year-old girl. But now they're also looking into the possibility of him being connected to the Delphi murders. So, How, how did they find him so fast? Because it was his neighbor. Or, I'm sorry, it was her neighbor. The little girl wow. um, was his neighbor. That's nuts. Yeah. So, on to today's story. Of course, we'll keep you updated if anything else comes of that because that story is crazy. But... On to today's story. So today we're talking about Aaron Quinn and Denise Huskins. So this pair was from Vallejo, or maybe it's Vallejo, because obviously these (laughs) Spanish names have tripped me up before. And I think technically it should be pronounced Vallejo, but Vallejo is how I've been hearing it. So anyway, Vallejo, California. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody say Vallejo. Vallejo. Okay, so anyway, it's a northern suburb of California, and this pair, Aaron and Denise, met in 2014 when they were both physical therapists. They had only been dating for about seven months when on March 23rd of 2015, a masked intruder broke into their home and changed the trajectory of their lives forever. So it was about three o'clock in the morning when Denise heard a man telling her multiple times to wake up, this is a robbery. And Denise, thinking that this was a horrible, vivid dream, looked around and saw the little red circle of a laser beam scurrying across her wall. And that's when she realized this is not a dream. This is very real. Man, you know those dreams where something is like... Oh in, my gosh, There's real. eerie, realistic dreams. Your brain can mess with you. Yeah. Like... Your brain, your body does weird stuff. Like I've had dreams where, like, I'm getting held down by my shoulders, and I wake up, and I feel like I'm held down, and my shoulders are hot from where the hands were. Yeah, like oh, crazy. So, so, like, when I hear that, like, I'm, I imagine her thinking this is a dream, and then realizing, holy shit, this is real life. Yeah, and to to just be jolted out of sleep like that, you'd be frozen. Be, yeah, you'd probably be frozen and so confused and scared. That's creepy. Yeah. Anyways. So, um, the intruder told Denise that there would be zip ties left at the end of the bed. And he told her, Aaron is going to put his hands behind his back and you're going to tie his hands and feet together. So the intruder knew Aaron by name, which terrified them even more because they're just like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is this? This obviously isn't random. Right. So as the intruder blindfolded the couple with some swimming goggles with black tape over the the lenses. He shoved them in a closet and he, like while he was doing this, he was encouraging Denise by saying, you're doing a good job. Are you comfortable? Are you okay? What? 
yeah, really bizarre to be, like, manhandling her and attacking her, essentially, but asking if she's okay in the process. It's just pretty odd. Combine that with them knowing their name, and it's pretty weird because it's obviously somebody who... It seems like somebody who would be close to them. Right. So the intruder then places the black swim goggles on the cop on the couple, and he puts these headphones on them with soothing music coming through Denise's headphones, and then instructions, like pre-recorded instructions, coming through Aaron's headphones that told him if he didn't cooperate, Denise would be tortured and killed. The recording also demanded a ransom of two $8,500 deposits, which is exactly what Aaron had in the bank. So this intruder even knew exactly what to request. That's crazy. He forced them both to drink a cocktail of sleep medicine mixed with some sort of sedative. And once that kicked in, the intruder took Denise outside to a car, put her in the trunk, and left Aaron behind to obtain the ransom. So when Aaron finally regained his consciousness, he found himself surrounded by red tape in his living room. And there was cameras, like, pointing at him, recording every move. And he was told through this, this recording that if he stepped outside of the red tape or tried to call for help, Denise and his family would be killed. But 10 hours have now gone by since the kidnapping, and at 1.53 p.m., Aaron made the heart-wrenching decision to call 911, knowing that he might be risking Denise's life. So the police, of course, respond right away, and they immediately launch a massive search for Denise. Her face is broadcast all over the news, asking for help or tips to find her, and Lieutenant Kenny Park holds a press conference basically saying that Denise Huskins, her whereabouts are unknown, and they're treating the situation as a kidnap for ransom. So meanwhile, Denise was taken 150 miles away to South Lake Tahoe in a secluded lake house. Her kidnapper allows her to watch the news coverage of her disappearance, and she's watching her friends and her family plea for a safe return, not knowing herself if she will make it out alive. Can you imagine that? It's, it's like that movie Gone Girl. Or not, they, is it Gone Girl? Oh my gosh, literally, I'm going to mention Gone Girl later. It's so like Gone Girl, that. except she didn't set it up. I don't, well, you don't think, at least. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so, you know nothing about this case, but you just said something that's like groundbreaking. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Um, so anyway, the kidnapper then moved her to a blacked out room and forced her to keep drinking these sedatives. And while she was tied up on a bed... Denise was trying to think of ways to survive this. She knew that if she fought back, her chances of survival were slimmer. So She's going to try to have sex with him and stab him like in Gone Girl. No, no. Um, no, she tried a tactic of relating to the kidnapper, telling him things about herself so that he might sympathize with her. And it seems to help because he does admit to her that he admires her strength and her resolve. And he even admits that... Her and Aaron are good people and that this shouldn't be happening to them. What? Is, so it's like, then why are you doing it then? So is is he like, it has a mask on or something? Yeah, he's this? masked and um, he he's wearing like a ski mask and some sort of black uniform. But he tells her that he's basically doing this all because he's in this gang that's forcing him to do these things. What? So after offering those sweet sentiments... He chooses to rape Denise, and he recorded it on videotape. 
after he was finished, he reviewed the tape and it, it didn't look good enough. And so he told her they would have to do it again, but that this time she needed to act like she was enjoying it, like they needed to kiss. Because this gang that he belonged to was going to use this video against her if she ever tried to go to authorities. And he's doing this in a ski mask? Yeah, he's, he's masked. Like, he's hiding his identity. Okay. So back in Vallejo, investigators are trying to narrow down a suspect. And often in cases like this, the first person investigators look at is the person closest to the victim. So they begin turning their focus towards Aaron. And the police start believing that this whole story is a little overdramatic. It seems like it's something straight out of a movie. Like, you can't make this stuff up. I agree. And so they admit that they have a hard time believing this whole story. Um, so... It's... It, can I... Go um, ahead. I, I, I know people say, oh, he get interrupted a lot, but I mean... No, that, that's the that's reason the you're point. here. I'm having yeah, a conversation. Yeah, it's conversation. Um, it does sound like... St- it sounds too premeditated and too scripted to be yeah. just an organic crime. Right. It's very choreographed and everything goes too smoothly. It, it does. The headphones and the goggles and her headphones are banging music while. No, it's like soothing, soothing music. music while his headphones are instructions that are pre recorded. It's all like. What it's definitely the odd. Heck? And this area is a very safe area. So yeah, these things don't happen. So premeditated. Yeah, it's definitely bizarre. But then it becomes more and more clear that they started to lean towards the theory that Aaron killed Denise and put together this whole story to intentionally misdirect authorities. So they put him in an interrogation room for 18 hours. No way. No windows, no clocks. They took his clothes, his IDs, like all of his belongings. They made him wear the jail uniform and started treating him like he was a criminal. What? While this was going on, Aaron's phone was getting missed calls from an unknown number, but nobody knew that because one of the police officers took his phone and put it on airplane mode for some reason. Which is really odd because if you're going into a police station to report a kidnapping and you are the only one who might have direct contact with the kidnapper who's in search of this ransom, why would you put the, the phone on airplane mode? They really thought it was him and just... Yeah, they just were not... Shut it all down. Yep. So nobody in that moment ever thought to trace the calls or investigate it deeper Nobody thought to look into the possibility that his story could be true. Their sights were firmly set on Aaron as a suspect. So they literally weren't even searching for her anymore? No. Well, they weren't searching for a kidnapper. I think they were searching for Denise, but they believed that he had killed her and put her body somewhere. Is there any interviews or anything with him? Yes. Are they convincing? Is he like, hey, listen, seriously. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I misunderstood your question. There are interviews after the fact. But I, not I during haven't this seen, I haven't seen the interrogation videos or anything. You would think if he's getting interrogated, it would be pretty convincing. I mean... I don't know. That's crazy. So that same day, on March 24th, around 12.23 p.m., a writer at the San Francisco Chronicle starts getting anonymous emails and voice recordings that appear to be from the voice of Denise Huskins. And in the recording, you can hear her say that her name is Denise Huskins, she's been kidnapped, but is otherwise fine. And it's a very, I mean, it does sound just like her, um, and she she sounds very stoic, I guess. I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it. She just sounds stoic. 
And then later, around 8.30 p.m., investigators were finally able to track down the unknown phone calls that were made to Aaron's phone while he was being investigated. And they found that the calls were being made from a burner phone that was purchased from uh, Target on March 2nd. And police later reviewed the security camera footage from that Target and saw a man buying the phone, but it wasn't Aaron. They're also able to trace the location from where the calls were made back to a street in South Lake Tahoe, which is where Denise was taken. Wow. So had they just investigated those leads as investigators are supposed to do, they probably would have found her and saved a lot of trouble. But then, just 48 hours after the kidnapping, while the search for Denise is still very active, the kidnapper puts Denise into a car, blindfolded, so she can't see where they're going. And she believes in this moment that she is going to be killed. But he's assuring her that that's not the case. Um, you know, he's he promises he's just going to drop her off. But her trust has been ruined at this point, and she's not convinced. But then finally, after hours of driving, he stops the car. And as he pulls Denise out of the car, he says... I wish we would have met under different circumstances. What the heck? Yeah. 400 miles away, Denise finds herself in her hometown of Huntington, California, which is another thing that made people think this is really fishy. Like, oh, she she disappears, but she ends up in her hometown. He knew how much money they had. So she starts walking and comes upon a gardener, and she's asking if she can borrow his cell phone. She's heavily sedated still and in shock, so she's not showing a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion, and that's understandable. But with Denise back, the police draw a new conclusion, and they start seeing parallels between this story and the movie Gone Girl, which came out the previous year. Whoa. So Denise is questioned by police, but their questions seemed way more accusatory than investigative. So she actually hires a lawyer, and the lawyer advises her not to speak with police anymore since they don't seem to have trust in Aaron or Denise's stories. And then the Vallejo PD waste no time holding a press conference chastising Denise for squandering away resources. And Lieutenant Kenny Park the same lieutenant who announced her kidnap for ransom, then publicly denounces the victims and calls the whole thing a hoax. Despite the evidence of the burner phone being purchased by somebody who wasn't Aaron and the calls being placed from somewhere near South Lake Tahoe when he's in an interrogation room, and he says that Denise and Aaron owe the public an apology and threatens to pursue criminal charges against Denise and Aaron. No way. This I you this case you wrote this so good because I keep wondering like what happens next? What happens next? Do they catch the guy? Thanks. Holy smokes. So then the next day on March 26th at about 2 p.m., the San Francisco Chronicle continues to get more emails. And the writer of these emails claimed to be one of the kidnappers and gives a detailed manifesto of the entire ordeal. And he's giving details that nobody would know unless they were there. So then two days later... It's like they want to get caught. Right. They want credit. So then two days later, on March 28th, shortly before 5 p.m., 
the San Francisco Chronicle gets another email with even more details. And March 30th, two days after that, Lieutenant Kenny Park gets an email saying that the kidnapping was not a hoax and that he needs to publicly apologize to Denise and Aaron. This prompts the kidnapper to just continue sending more emails, but rather than investigate this as truth, they investigated it as fiction, believing that it was all part of their scam and that Denise and Aaron were the authors of these emails. Four months, Austin, went by without any progress in the case. Denise, Are, are they still living in their normal house? They're still living in their house, but they've lost their jobs. Their coworkers and employers refuse to talk about them. This, like, went national. This was national news. This, like, hoax, this gone girl hoax. The police department refused to hand over any of their belongings, including their cars and their driver's licenses. The way Denise they described it... They took their it, cars? Yeah, as evidence. The way Denise described it during an episode of 2020 was that she had to sit back and watch while the nation basically had a conversation about the most horrific thing she lived through, and yet nobody seemed to believe her because the police had poisoned the public's opinion of the case. No sympathy for them. No, I hope everything's okay. Yeah, none of that. Wow. But then on June 5th at 3.34 a.m., there was another home invasion but it didn't go as smoothly as the one at Denise and Aaron's. This time, there was a struggle between the intruder and the father of the house. They ended up getting in this big scuffle. The intruder hit the father over the head, and he caused a pretty decent, um, uh, what am I trying Laceration. to say? Yeah. This is on another one in South Lake Tahoe? No, this is, um, so the original place is Vallejo. South Lake oh, Tahoe yeah. is where they were taken. This is in Dublin, which is near Vallejo. And this time, there's this scuffle, and because of this scuffle, and it's not going as smoothly as Denise and Aaron's intrusion or kidnapping, the intruder flees and leaves behind his cell phone. No You way. might as well leave behind your driver's license. Like That's a bad deal. You're just handing over a, a piece of gold. So investigators find that the cell phone belongs to a man named Matthew Muller. And just two days later, police obtain a search warrant for his car and two locations, one of, it, one of which was his parents' vacation home in South Lake Tahoe. Okay, listen. Right now, you're, you're we're, okay, we're recording this in a different place than we normally record, guys. And Kelly's computer's kind of facing me. And I keep wanting to read ahead. So <laughs> next time, we got to, like, not let me see it. Because I keep, like, wanting to read ahead while you're, while you're, while you're, don't <laughs> cheat. She's covering it. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. keep going. I'm not looking. So Matthew Muller is arrested at the lake house by Alameda County sheriffs, and they find the Huntington Beach address where Denise was dropped off still plugged into his GPS in his car, the blacked out swim goggles that she wore, that Denise wore, with some of her, her hair still attached to them, and then the gun that he used in the kidnapping, which turned out to actually be a painted squirt gun. It wasn't even real. It wasn't even a real gun. A couple weeks later, the department calls Vallejo Police Department, basically doing their job for them to inform them that they have a man in custody regarding a home invasion that is eerily similar to the Vallejo kidnapping. So investigators from both departments 
meet to discuss the similarities and ultimately agree that the same person, Matt Muller, is the offender in both home invasions. And they realize Aaron and Denise were telling the truth the entire time. Oh, man. I would I would shit on that police department so hard publicly and just try to... Like, after they do that to you? Are you kidding me? Yeah. They had the whole world... Yes. Against you. Yeah. We're talking like defamation of character. And what you went through, like you went through something insane. Yes. And then to have not only the people who are sworn to protect you not believe you, but then publicly say they don't believe you. And make you look like a jackass. Yes. You're effectively making the minds up of all these people watching. Oh my goodness. So July 13th, Denise and Aaron hold a press conference with their attorneys and their attorneys speak for them and basically say that Vallejo PD owes them an apology now. And finally, they're beginning to get some public vindication. Um, It's never going to be enough. But Matt Muller, who was an ex-Marine who was previously trained as a lawyer from Harvard, but was ultimately disbarred pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 40 years behind bars. He later came out to say that he's actually not guilty, but I don't know. I mean, people are just liars are just liars. Well, it was obviously him. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously him. He so admitted to it. doesn't matter if he said he wasn't guilty later. Yeah, he admitted to it to begin with, and then now he's trying to come out and say that it wasn't him. And he's even trying to just... Um, He's trying to be his own lawyer, so just, like, represent himself, which is a huge mistake. Never but. never a good move, I don't feel like. No. I don't care if you didn't do anything, if you're 100% innocent. I feel like it's never a good move to be, I'm going to be my own lawyer. Right. So, Denise and Aaron did get an apology from the Vallejo police chief, Andrew Badu, And this letter that he sent... It was an apology in a written form. The letter admitted that Lieutenant Kenny Park's comments, quote, contributed to the difficulty and personal ordeal that they have experienced. And while these comments were based on our findings at the time, they proved to be unnecessarily harsh and offensive, end quote. And I'm sorry, but that's like saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because, you know, while these comments were based on our findings at the time, it's like saying we had every reason to think that you were lying, even though what you're omitting is the fact that you didn't investigate the phone calls or the burner phone or the security footage from Target. You did a crap job. Yeah, you instantly decided that Aaron was a suspect and that this all was a hoax. And... Not to mention you wrote a letter and didn't publicly say it. Yeah. And they never did. They have never publicly apologized. I think in the case we all did some things that we regret. Don't you think you did also? (laughs) So just want to say that. Like, what a crap apology. No, it's not an apology. So um, Lieutenant Kenny Park never appeared to show any remorse. And in text messages that were eventually released to the public, a volunteer at the department texted him to let him know that he was being shown on an episode of 2020. And he responded with, quote, are they saying I'm a heartless bastard? Question mark. And he goes on to make jokes about how he appears on TV. And then later, the same police chief who offered the private apology was busted sending texts that said quote burn that bitch in reference to Denise Huskins so it would appear that under the authority at that time residents of Vallejo had every reason to be concerned over whether or not they could really trust members of the police department who were sworn to protect them and was the guy somehow associated with the criminal 
Yeah, I think that would be a little bit of a stretch, but I think there was a huge miscarriage of justice. Right. And I think um, Lieutenant Park deserved to lose his job, which he, he didn't lose his job. He ended up resigning five years later, but they wouldn't comment on whether it was a res- resignation or like a retirement. Um, but, you know, Denise and Aaron have, you know, done public interviews with news stations and morning shows and whatnot, basically telling their story in hopes that they can help other victims of sexual assault who aren't believed by the people who are supposed to protect them. And they have also come out to say that they don't believe Matthew Muller acted alone. They believe that there were other people involved, but because the Vallejo Police Department was so incompetent at the time, I don't know if things have changed now, but at the time they were so incompetent that they they never caught who Matthew Muller probably acted with. Right. And the reason they say they believe he didn't act alone was because they remembered when they were being locked up in the closet by Matthew Muller, they could hear cabinets and stuff um, downstairs. So, like, from another room, they could uh-huh. hear somebody rustling around. So they do believe that he acted with someone else, at least one other person. They never looked into it. Mm-hmm. And so did they ever have interviews with Matthew Muller and ask him, like, you know, in some of these cases you get to hear the criminal's account of what they did. Never? No, he's just coming out and saying now that he's actually not guilty, but he's never... What did he get charged with? Um, kidnapping. What about rape? And so he he is pleading not guilty to the rape accusations. Is there on video, though? Don't they have it on video? I don't know. I don't know if the video ever came out. What a crap investigation. It's it's so bad. It's so bad. I don't know crap about crime, and I have all kinds of questions. So do I. So all I know now is that three years after the abduction, the city of Vallejo agreed to pay Denise and Aaron. They settled on a $2.5 million um, defamation of character lawsuit that they had brought against the city. But to this day, they never did get that public apology or anything. So they've they've basically had to go on their own crusade to reestablish their Who reputation. They are. My goodness, that is nuts. Yeah. And they've actually, they've gotten married since this happened. So, I mean. I'm glad they lived through it. Like, I'm glad you said a case where people lived through it. They survived. Right. That it's was my goal. It's not gruesome and, and sad. I mean, I mean, it's still sad. But it's it's not like, holy shit, some of them. But yeah. What a what a like whirlwind worthless investigation and police department. Yeah, it was a complete failure on the on behalf of the Vallejo Police Department, and um, yeah, they just really dropped the ball. Look at how the media and I say marketing. It's not marketing in this case, but look how the media can sway everyone's opinion. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's, once you get a hold of a story and, and skew you it just, however you want. Yeah, it's no it's no different than elections. It's no different than. I don't, uh, it, or even down to just gossip, just yeah. the normal gossip that you hear in your small town or in your work or in your yep. social circle. Circle, you know, you just you never know what the truth really is. Mm-hmm. If you hear it from another person, or if you, I don't know, it's just you have to be so careful about the things that you hear. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that is our story for today. That's a good one. Thank you. Well written. Good Thank story. That's I mean, not good story. Gosh, you get what I'm saying. Anyways. I know what you mean. Thank you all for listening. Share away, please. If you enjoyed this and you enjoy Kelly's nice voice reading it and her hard work and my crap input. (laughs) And we'll be back on Monday. Please share it away. Mystery Monday. Mystery. Out. Bye.